When I was uh, 16 years old, I was a counselor at this week-long Christian camp for kids. Uh, a lot of the high schoolers in my youth group would go, and we'd be counselors there for the week. Uh, and there'd always be two counselors assigned to every cabin, two of us. And, and what we would do is we'd alternate nights. And, and every other night after the kids would go to bed, one of the counselors would go, and we'd go and hang out with the other counselors. We'd have like a bonfire and sit around, sing songs, whatever. It was just like a break from the responsibilities of the day. And, uh, and I remember one distinct night, a group of us were sitting around the fire and singing some worship songs. And if you've never experienced that type of simple worship before, to me that's some of the most authentic and intimate worship you can experience. But we were sitting around and singing these songs, and it had to be around 10 or 11 o'clock at night and this teenage girl that none of us knew, she walked up to the fire and just kind of stood there watching us. None of us knew her. Eventually, uh, someone asked her if she wanted to join us, and so this girl sits down. And after a while, this girl asks us, hey, hey, you guys believe in God and stuff, right? To which we all said, yeah. And this girl told us that she was the daughter of the people who owned the campground, and uh, then this teenage girl that none of us knew proceeded to break down just like crying in front of a group of strangers, like crying hard, and some of the girls in our group surrounded her and tried to console her, and when she could eventually talk, she went on to tell us that the boy that she'd been dating the past year had broken up with her, but what was really upsetting for her is that this boy had introduced her to these cards, like these dark cards, like tarot cards, like this dark magic type of stuff, and, and she said that her and her boyfriend would try to talk to the dead sometimes, that they would use these cards to try to predict things, even try to cast curses and hexes on people that they didn't like. She said it was always something they didn't take super seriously, she didn't take super seriously, but he was always really into, and so she went along with it. But she said ever since they broke up, she'd been having these horrible nightmares about going to hell, and, and that she'd see these like shadows and stuff in her room at night and she was being tormented by all these thoughts of pain and dying and then she reached into her bag and she pulled out this deck of cards and all of us were like, whoa. We had never seen anything like that or experienced anything like that and, and eventually one of the girls in our group like grabbed the cards from the girl and like threw them in the fire. And they didn't burn. They just sat in there in the middle of the flames. And this girl was distraught, and she said that she had no idea what to do, and she was hoping we might know what to do. Now, I don't know about you, but none of us had any real clue about what to do in a situation like this. We were just high school kids. And eventually, one of the bolder girls in our group, they, she put her hands on this girl's shoulders and began praying for her. And the rest of us just started singing worship songs over this girl. And we were breaking out all the heavy hitters. How great is our God? Oh, how he loves. I could sing of your love forever. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Like if you name it, we probably sang it. We didn't know what else to do. We probably sang for like an hour while some of the girls in our group surrounded this girl and prayed for her and talked with her. And eventually one of the girls from our group brought up giving your life to Jesus and making him the foundation of your life. And this girl immediately said, yes, I want to do that. And man, I am telling you, when I say this girl was immediately different, her face was different. It was lighter, smiling through tears. She was holding on to the girls in our group, and there was just this like peace and joy 
radiating off of her, so much so that like we were all feeling jealous, and we were on this like church camp like fire, and we were feeling jealous of how she looked. And as, as we wrapped up and finished singing, we all laid hands on this girl and prayed for her. And man, I'm telling you, as soon as we said amen, the entire deck of cards sitting in the fire just burnt up in an instant, just like a high school science project. Now listen, I have some idea of what happened that night, but I don't think any of us really did or still could understand the weight of what actually happened, but I know that I learned two things that night that still stick with me today. One is that the enemy is real, and he is always fighting for our attention and fighting to keep our devotion focused anywhere but God, and that is a real threat. The second thing that I learned is that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ, and for as long as I live, I don't want the foundation of my life built anywhere else. And I say all that today because we're going to be reading about a couple individuals. One of them is a powerful king, and the other is this crazy street preacher. And each of these individuals have placed their hope in two completely different places. One of them has placed their trust in the things of this world, and the other has placed their trust in Jesus. And as we read through each of their stories, we're going to see their stories go different ways. And So this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in our Scattered Church series. Now, just for reference, two weeks ago we read about something called Antioch. And Antioch was the first non-Jewish church that was planted and it became pretty much the focal point for all outward spreading of the gospel. Antioch became this massive victory for the church and through Antioch, tens of thousands of people would come to know Jesus and become spreaders of his message. This was the biggest win to date for the church besides the resurrection was a massive victory, but in the passage we're about to read, we're going to be jumping back to the Jewish-dominated uh, church in Jerusalem, and this massive victory is going to be followed by this storm. And if you know anything about following Jesus, you know that where your foundation is when the storm comes is extremely important. And so starting at verse 1 in Acts chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of our Acts journals or the words will be up on the screen. But starting at Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 1, we're going to start there and we're going to stop along the way and make some observations. It says this in verse 1. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this Herod is King Herod Agrippa, and he's the grandson of the king Herod who tried to have Jesus murdered as a baby. This is his grandson. And, and this king Herod has taken up the torch of waging war against the church. And the first thing he does in this fight is to have James, the apostle, one of the original 12 disciples, Herod has him killed. Now for the record, this is just the first of the original 12 to be killed for their faith. But as time goes on, everyone with the exception of Judas, of course, but all other apostles will also find themselves dying for their faith, all except James's brother, John. Now, Jesus alluded to this back in Matthew chapter 20 when James and John, when they first started following Jesus, they basically asked Jesus to be his top lieutenants. They say, we want to sit on your left side and your right side in the kingdom. And Jesus says, do you think you can drink from the cup that I drink from? And they both say, yeah not really understanding that Jesus is talking about the suffering that he would endure, but now James, 
finds himself dying for his allegiance to Jesus. And I think what this shows each and every one of us is that a life of following Jesus is never an easy thing. It's never easy. Now, by following Jesus, we are able to experience forgiveness and salvation and peace and love and grace and fulfillment in a way that can't be experienced anywhere else in the universe, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking this is ever going to be easy. For the record, more Christians in 2022, more Christians are being killed today for their faith than any other point in history. Now, we don't experience that level of suffering here, but it is important to understand that it is happening. Though we do live in a society that actively seeks to demonize and ostracize anyone who would follow Jesus. So in addition to how challenging a life of faith is, already the world in so many ways just wants no part of us, and that's hard when our natural inclination is to want to be accepted. And that's not a pity party for us, because we're, we're all right with that. This walk with Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. And any kind of suffering we might endure, Jesus is worth that. And James exhibits that, and all the other apostles will exhibit that too. And so if you're having a hard time right now with all this Jesus stuff, if you're looking around and understanding that a lot of people aren't cool with you and they don't want to hear from you right now, or you're having a hard time finding community, or your faith journey is in a stagnant place, or you're struggling to find any real traction, or if there's something else going on, but all you know is this doesn't feel good right now, let me both encourage you and challenge you to continue on in your faith. Let me challenge you to talk openly about your struggles with other people on this journey. Let me, let me remind you that all of this is worth your time and energy because Jesus is who he says he is. James built his life on that foundation. Let me remind you that God is always good, even when things don't look good, even when James is dying for his faith. And so as I said, Acts chapter 12 takes this heavy turn and the persecution of the church spikes up and James loses his life. And the text goes on in verse 3. It says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, when Herod saw that killing James pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people, meaning execute him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so Herod has James killed, and the people love it. Popularity is on the upswing for Herod. The polls are coming back positive. The focus groups are returning. Great feedback. Herod kills James, and the people say, yes. And so Herod says, well, if you like that, you're going to love what I do next. And he has Peter arrested with the intentions of killing him too. And it says that Peter was handed over to four squads of soldiers. This means 16 soldiers. Now, 16 soldiers, that's quite a lot of security to contain one street preacher. And as we're about to read, they're going to lock him in chains. They're going to actually lock him between two guards, and they're all armored up with swords and shields, all of this stuff. And what does it say is the response of the church? It says, earnest prayer was made to God for Peter by the church. Earnest prayer. 
You know what kind of faith it takes to trust God that much to just pray? And this would be really easy to gloss over, but I mean, look at the contrast here. Like for, for Herod to contain Peter, this singular, albeit a little wild, street preacher, but to contain one man, he deploys fully, or 16 soldiers fully armed and ready to go. He has all the things this world would say you need to win. Money, power, influence, numbers, support, preparation. He has all those things. And then you have the church. And we don't even really know exactly what their goal is here, but we can probably guess they just lost one major leader in James. We can assume they'd like to not lose their other major leader. But they don't rally soldiers to go fight. They don't armor up. They don't steal weapons. They, they pray. They pray. Do you believe in prayer this much? And it doesn't just say prayer, it says earnest prayer. Which if you look up the original language, it paints this picture of like a pained struggle, like wrestling type of prayer. Imagine like a prisoner like reaching through the bars of a prison cell, like trying to knock the keys off of the hook, like stretching. Or imagine like a baby in a playpen, like reaching up on their tippy toes to grab their mommy or daddy. Or imagine like a sailor fallen overboard and he's reaching out of the water with his last waning energy to be saved. Or imagine Jesus on his knees in the garden sweating blood as he prepares to go to the cross. This is not ordinary prayer. This is desperate prayer. This is not going through the motions prayer. This is prayer that actually means something. Do you pray like you mean it? Do you pray like it's your greatest weapon? I think a lot of times when we pray, we, we go through the motions. I, I think a lot of times our heart's not really in it. But surely you've prayed both kinds of prayers, right? Like you've prayed prayers at like prayer meetings that you didn't really want to go to or like before Thanksgiving when Mr. or Mrs. Long-Winded is just like going on and on and on and you're like, you're like, is this ever going to end? Like what is going on? Like you've prayed moments like that or and then surely you've had moments when you were praying to God like he was your only hope a bad diagnosis or, or terrible news or severe money problems or seemingly irreparable relationship problems or crippling mental health problems and it's like God I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know how to fix any of this stuff and I don't even know how or like what I need I just know that I need your hand in it because God if you don't show up soon like I'm dying here please show up please be in this I have nothing to offer you I'm just I'm just asking you to be in this that's the kind of prayer we're talking about when it says earnest prayer and so what do you need to just pray earnestly about right now or when I say you need to pray about it do you roll your eyes yeah whatever what area of your life right now have you been trying to fix with every worldly remedy, but you've still yet to hit your knees over it? I mean, there are a lot of different courses of action the church could have taken in response to Peter's arrest, but the only thing we see them doing in this moment is bringing the situation desperately before God. Are we that kind of church that comes to God this way? The text goes on in verse 6. 
says, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, meaning when Herod was going to bring Peter out to execute him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that, he was, that, this was, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, this is amazing, obviously. Like we, we, we love stories of divine intervention when God just like directly steps in and saves the day, and this is one of those like hurrah moments. But do you know what the most amazing thing about all of this is to me? Did you see what Peter was doing the night before he would be executed? He's sleeping. And not just sleeping, but like sleeping so hard that an angel shows up and he stays asleep. And the angel has to go over and like kick him in the side like, hey, wake up, it's time to go. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can barely sleep solidly when I don't have my own public execution scheduled for the next day. <laughs> and here's Peter, chained between two soldiers in a cramped cold prison cell with death awaiting him in just a few hours, and this guy is sleeping hard. And for the record, Peter has no idea what's going to happen. There's no guarantee that God's going to intervene. As far as Peter knows, James has just been killed, and God didn't intervene for him, and it's his turn next. So there's no promise that God's going to save him, and yet he's fast asleep. It almost reminds me of when Jesus was asleep in the boat in the middle of like a hurricane, and the disciples are like freaking out, like, Jesus, you have to wake up, you're going to... You need to save us like we're all going to die, Jesus. And if you read back, Peter was a part of that group, freaking out. Jesus, how could you possibly sleep at a time like this? But now fast forward to Peter's own imprisonment and likely death, and Peter is exhibiting to us that peace is available at even the most hopeless moments in our life. Do you believe that? Have you experience that here's my confession I don't always experience it I don't always experience it like I said I, I stay up nights sometimes over literally the most trivial things things I have absolutely no control over and I give away sleep and I give away rest to these things while God is holding out to me a peace that passes understanding and so I'm just going to say something here, but I need you to understand that I'm really preaching to myself, and you might just get caught in the crossfire of it. Did you know the most repeated phrase in the entire Bible, the phrase that said more than anything else, that this phrase is actually in the Bible a non-coincidental 365 times, once for every day of the year, just in case I pretend, feel like pretending it's not there, and the phrase is fear not. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Dustin. Don't worry. Dustin, God is at work, and he has a plan even when you can't see it and even when you don't understand it. Even when the outcome isn't the one you wanted, even if a yes to your prayer isn't a part of that plan, God's got it, Dustin, and you can trust that. And this isn't me just saying, hey, experience God's peace. Like, do it. Like, you just have the power to do that. And this isn't me saying, have you, have you tried not thinking about your problems? Maybe that'll help. Like, that's not what I'm saying. We, we can't inflict this type of peace on ourselves. The only way we can experience it is by immersing yourself in who Jesus is. That's how Peter can sleep, because he knows Jesus. He spends his days thinking about him and, and picturing him and talking about him and reflecting on his words and celebrating what he's done on the cross. And that kind of pursuit of Christ is what produces peace. That kind of pursuit of Christ will help you understand that he's actually worthy of your trust and he's good. He's good. Man. I, have, uh, I have crippling anxiety sometimes and it's rough, man. It, it's it takes its toll physically, mentally. But you know what I've realized through that? God is good. Now, I, have, I have family members who still don't know Jesus, and that's really hard too. But you know that I, what I realized through it? God is good. I've had moments in my life when I was actually sure we were going to get evicted and lose everything. Had moments in my life where we bought like a 3,000 pack of hot dogs and we we're like, I guess this is going to have to last us and we didn't know what we were going to do. And you know what I realized in those moments that God is good. I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer and I watched from half the country away as her and the rest of my family experienced all of the hurt and heartbreak that goes along with that. And you know what I realized through all of it? God is good. And man, I don't know who needs to hear this in the room besides me, but whatever you're going through right now, you can take a breath and you can find rest in Jesus because he is good. He's good. And so Peter's asleep in the prison cell and he gets freed by an angel of the Lord and now he's free again and he understands that God is the one who delivered him. And the text goes on, it says, when he realized this, when Peter realized this is real, I'm actually free, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. They're still praying for him. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So she doesn't even let him in. She just like takes off. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel, like they know what they're talking about. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, when morning came, it was time to execute Peter. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched 
for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, a speech. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. The people were worshiping Herod as if he was God. The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Listen. (laughs) There's a lot in that passage that we could look at. But the biggest thing I want to look at right now is I, I, I don't want to miss this extremely valuable and straightforward lesson that Herod just taught us. And that lesson is that you can put your hope in the things that this world has to offer, but it cannot save you. It cannot save you. Money, sex, porn, relationships, reputation, alcohol, Friends, a career, like even even family, even the good things, there's nothing guaranteed or untouchable in this universe except for a life built on the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ. That's just the truth. And if this is the only time you ever hear me speak, I want to make sure that that message is clear because the last thing I want for anyone in this room is for them to go through their entire lives putting their hope and putting their life and building that on something that can't sustain only to see the worms rise up and eat it right before their eyes on their last day. Man, I don't care how amazing your life is. I don't care how well off you think you are or how amazing you think you're doing. Herod shows us that if Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, you can't win. Catch this. If Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, You can't win. Herod had it all, man. He had fame and fortune. He had more women and relationships that he could ever ask for. He had the best job in the city. He was quickly winning over the love of the people. This guy had it made in the shade. He was certainly better off than any of us sitting in this room. He had all the things that so many of us fight and strive for but he didn't have Jesus and all of these temporary worldly treasures, including his own life, just in an instant. There's only one thing that lasts forever in this life, and Herod didn't have it. You see, there are people who have this mindset, like, I've lived my entire life without God, and I've been just fine. But you see, what these people fail to realize is that they haven't lived life without God. God's everywhere. And the truth is, everyone in this life will experience the love of God to some degree or another because the truth is, love doesn't exist outside of God. None of it exists outside of Him. And so the love that atheists have for their family and their friends and their spouses, that love comes from God. That doesn't come from men. They still experience His love. And the truth is, apart from him, they'd never experience that. You see, while we're just passing through in this life, we live 
in a place where heaven is slowly invading earth. And for just a little while, we get to experience these little glimpses of who God is. Now, if you say yes to Jesus, those gates open a little bit more and you get to experience his presence inside of you, but it's still filtered. You see, because we're still waiting for the moment when God's going to come back and he's going to redeem all of it. And when that day comes, the gates are going to open fully. And for those of us who follow Jesus, it's going to be amazing because the floodgates are going to break open and we're going to experience God's presence and his love unfiltered, and it's going to be amazing. But for those who don't follow Jesus, it's going to be a heartbreaking day because whatever love or goodness they've experienced in this life is going to be snatched away from them. And for the first time in their existence, they're going to experience what it's like to be fully cut off from God. And all that waits is isolation and separation and death. Like the worms are coming. And that's not to scare anyone. And I'm sorry if that does scare you, but I want to shed light on what's actually happening because the the truth is the same people who think they're doing just fine without God have actually never experienced what it's like to be fully without him. But if Jesus doesn't become the foundation of their life, they will exist in a place that is fully without him. And it doesn't matter what they accomplish, it doesn't matter how much they've earned or how much people love them or how well they've controlled their lives. At the end of the day, you can't win without Christ. And King Herod Agrippa illustrates this for us clearly. If Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, you can't win. Now contrast Herod's experience with Peter. See, one of Peter's best friends, James, basically a brother to him, is murdered. And Peter's locked away in jail and his execution time's quickly approaching. He's surrounded by guards. He's locked in chains. He's hated by the people. They're cheering that he's in prison. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any power. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is what your life feels like right now. Maybe maybe your marriage is falling apart or you're caught in a trap of sin or addiction or you can't afford to pay your bills or you're feeling like you have nobody or you're sick or you're hurting or you're lost or you're questioning. And that's tough, but the thing is we get in these situations and we just make them like everything and we we only look at them. We get in these situations and instead of remembering the God we serve and how much he loves us, we start to dwell on these things and we start letting them set up and take real estate in our hearts and in our head and it starts to consume you and you'll start believing the lie that there's no hope. But here's the big truth that I want to inflict upon you this morning because you see the same way it's true that if Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, you can't win. It is equally true that if Jesus is the foundation of your life, you can't lose. can't lose. The love that God has for you can't be shaken. It can't be taken away. And somebody in here needs to remember that. Even if that somebody's just me. Somebody in this room needs to remember that we serve a God who pursues us and who fights for us. Even when we don't have the energy to fight for ourselves. Somebody in this room needs to remember that 
Just because you're in chains and surrounded by the enemy doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you. The Bible says God is at work all the time for those who love him. There's no distance that you could ever go that would make God any less crazy about you. There's no sin that you could commit that would make him love you any less. And the most important thing for you to remember when it feels like you're losing is that if you have Jesus, you've already won. Amen. I know you feel weak sometimes, and I know you get tired, and I know the pressure feels too much, but the beauty of having a Savior, especially when that Savior is as good as Jesus, is that he doesn't just save you once. He's always saving you. He's carrying you. Listen, man, I want you to walk out of this place with a level of security that says even when I feel like I'm on death row, even when I feel like I'm in chains, even when I don't know how to fix any of my problems in life, I'm going to fight, but I'm not going to fight by fighting. I'm going to fight by resting in Jesus. I'm going to fight by singing his praises, even when it doesn't feel good. I'm going to fight by praying earnestly and praying like it matters, even when I don't feel like talking to him. You see, this is what it means to have faith. This is what it means to be steadfast. And it's not a super fun thing to preach, but you need to know that you're going to go through a lot of seasons. A lot of your life is not going to be these on-fire moments for God. A lot of times it's going to feel like he's dissing. It's going to feel like you don't see exactly what he's doing, but it's in those moments that you need to keep him your foundation. And in those moments, it's going to be your willingness to seek after him and keep seeking after him, even when you don't see the fruit of it directly, but keeping your eyes focused on him is going to keep you from drifting to the foundation that the world's trying to sell you. When they're trying to sell you lies, but the truth is, if Jesus is the foundation of your life, you can't lose. This is how the text finishes. All these things happen. James dies. Peter gets in prison. An angel breaks him out. Herod dies. All of these things happen. This is how the passage wraps up. It says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I mean, I think the message is really clear, and I want to make sure that we hear it this morning. Listen, suffering can come, and pain can come, and heartache can come, loss can come, even death can come. But no matter what happens, the kingdom of God will continue to spread. The kingdom of God will continue to resurrect spiritually dry bones back to life. The kingdom of God will continue to call lost sons and daughters home. The kingdom of God will continue to eradicate darkness, and there's literally nothing that the enemy or anyone in this world can do about that. The blood of Jesus is too powerful. It will not be overcome. And so if you're feeling lost or defeated, can I just challenge you right now in this moment to just cry out to the one who has authority over heaven and earth? And can I challenge you to cling tightly to the one who died on the cross and defeated death so that you could experience life? There's a lot of stuff going on right now. It might feel like the world is falling apart, but when you put your faith in Jesus, you have 
built your house on a firm foundation, and so you're going to be all right. I just want to remind you that you're on the winning side of this fight. We know how the book ends, so just hang on. And don't walk out of this place without being sure of where you've placed your trust. Because a lot of things have changed since I was 16. You know, I used to have hair. (laughs) A lot of things have changed, but one thing hasn't changed. And that's that the enemy is always going to try to fight and distract and destroy you. But there's power in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We need a foundation that we can stand on, that we can depend on. And I know I've placed my trust in so many different things in so many different places. And the things of this world continue to just let me down, but you have carried me. You have carried me in the moments when I couldn't walk, when I couldn't even crawl. You've carried me in the moments when I wanted nothing to even do with you, when my faith was weak and I was distracted carried me. God, and I know that there are people in this room right now who are hurting. I know that there are people in this room right now who don't feel you, who don't feel your presence, who desperately want to. God, I know that there are people in this room right now who are in the middle of storms that are beating on their house and trying to wreck their foundation and trying to ruin them and steal their peace and joy away from them. But I know that you are always at work God, and I know that you're trying to connect with each and every person in this room, and my prayer right now is that your Holy Spirit just drops on this room and that you would rest on us and that we could see you for who you are and your power and your glory and your love, and that it would just drive us to a place of making you the center of our lives, making you the foundation and putting you back on the throne of our hearts again, God. Apart from you, we have nothing, but in you we have everything. God, I pray that you help us to understand that. God, we just love you. We trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion right now. And as you remember the sacrifice of Jesus, you remember what he was willing to do to give you an opportunity to have this foundation in him. I want you to take this opportunity to evaluate what is the foundation of your life built on right now. Where have you been putting your hope? Where have you been putting your energy and your focus? Where is your time being spent? What are you building your life on right now? And if it's not Jesus, can I encourage you to pray and put him back on the throne again? I'm going to read this passage and I'm going to pray and we'll take communion. It says this, Jesus says this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Where's your foundation? Is it in him? Or is it sand? Let's pray.
Jesus, I pray right now your Holy Spirit is at work. It's inflicting the power and truth of the gospel in each and every heart in this place, that you are drawing hearts back to you. You are winning hearts, God. You are just drawing us back to you and your amazing love and your power and grace and beauty, God. I pray for every single person in this place that they see with clarity who you are and what you've done. Just commit all this to you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take communion.